Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud takes at soothing decibels. This is episode 30, and I'm feeling pretty good today. I'm a little sad. My nail polish is fading. I don't know how you girls deal with this on a day-to-day basis, because I had them like professionally done. My girlfriend spent like hours, like about a week ago, and now they're they're all fading. It makes me sad. So I don't know how you guys do it. Props to you. Hats off. And I'm addicted to this new show, uh, Slobby's World. I don't know if anyone's seen it. What a terrible name. But, I mean, that's the name of the main character. It's on Netflix. It's kind of like American Pickers, but for, like, Generation X and Millennials. It's this guy in Tucson, Arizona, who's picking 80s and 90s memorabilia for his store. And it's it's harmless. It's fun. And it's cool that, like, he's an expert in, like, you know, 1992 Ralph Lauren teddy bear shirts and stuff like that but it feels a little bit capitalist porn. Like I kind of, by the end of it, I want to buy something or I want to like go online or I want to go to swap meets. And I'm like, that's not how I normally feel. <laughs> um, like what's going on here? And so I'm not sure if it's good for me, but it's only one season. It's 20, 22 minutes an episode, an episode. So I'll be done with it soon. So it feels innocent, but I think, I think there's something underlyingly gross about it. So if you want some mindless stuff that makes you feel like you want to buy stuff, I'd recommend it. And also, if you were, like, nostalgic for the 90s and 80s, then absolutely check it out. And just played on the floor uh, with my dogs for about 20 minutes. So that's that's a must. I mean, if you have large dogs, you need to lay on the ground at least 15, 20 minutes a day and have them kind of slobber, drool, and, like, roll around on you. It's just, it's just fun. And, I mean, you might think that's gross, but I got really grossed out last night. I watched Starship, Starship Troopers for the first time all the way through. I've always seen bits and pieces of it. And... Man, those bugs. I mean, it, it's a story about, you know, the U- the planet being t- attacked by a planet of bugs. And these bugs are gross. I mean, they are slimy. They are wet. There's lots of eyes. Everything's shiny and uh, slimy and visceral and in your face. And there's blood everywhere. And, you know, it's a fun movie. It's like, you know, people going to war and kind of these young, beautiful actors uh, you know, just kind of having fun and being brash and really going for it in a campy way. But the last like 20, 30 minutes is just disgusting. And it like left me with a bad taste in my mouth. I needed to take like a long walk. And I, I watched that Slobby's World show for like two hours to like, kind of get it out of my mouth. Cause I don't know, I was going to have weird bug alien dreams. I don't want that. No one wants that, but I should have known it's a Paul Verhoeven movie and he does uh basic instinct I'm trying to think what uh, uh Robocop, uh, Total Recall. So he's the king of like visceral real effects that are kind of gross, intense, sexual. He's just, he's a strange guy. I'd love to hear an interview with him. I'm, I'm kind of wondering what his deal is. Oh, and Hollow Man, by the way. I love Hollow Man. Nothing like naked, invisible Kevin Bacon. Like, give me that all day. Plus, if you notice Josh Brolin in that movie, he might be on steroids. He's got that weird like Mark McGuire, like, Big but not like shredded kind of look that looks like he's juicing. So I'm I'm wondering what's going on with Josh Brolin, but maybe that's just me. It's kind of just a strange take, but most of my takes are strange. And this next topic is without a doubt the weirdest <laughs> weirdest uh, issue I've ever kind of conjured for a podcast ever. So if you know me, like I kind of like posting hypo- really strange hypothetical questions without purpose. I'm just like, hey, you know, how do you feel like? If you had to live with no arms and legs, would you be laughing all the time? Because I would be. I mean, it'd be fun. You just a giant potato. It'd just be kind of fun to just roll around. 
and people look at me strangely and you're probably gonna look at me strangely after this one too so i decided to compare all like the a-list actors of the past 30 years as food like what would they be and why and i know this sounds strange but if you think about it comparisons are the best when people everyone can relate to them so we all have the mate these like star actors in our life and we all have food in our life every day so i think this is relatable to everyone and their relationship to the star and to the food so <laughs> let's dive in and i'm gonna start with daniel day lewis uh if you don't know him did phantom thread as kind of a tightly wound uh seamstress in the 1940s there will be blood he's uh oil tycoon gangs of new york he's bill the butcher who's like uh early century gang leader of like kind of irish american not irish american italian americans and he's a uh he's a method actor so he when he's acting he's like that person for that entire year two years so he played lincoln in one of the movies and so he was a lincoln for an entire year he talked to him you know when he's getting his coffee before the uh, before the scene, and he's you're talking to Abe Lincoln, so it's kind of jerky, kind of ridiculous. I hear he's hard to work with. So what I was, I was like, what food, what food exemplifies Daniel Day Lewis? And I thought uni, or as some of you know, it's sea urchin. It's that kind of gooey, slimy, yellow uh, sushi roll that's kind of the most high end, most kind of rare at any sushi place because. You only do it. At a, you only have it on a rare occasion. Like he only does movies once every two to three years. And as of now, he's quote unquote retired. But you know, he comes back usually once every couple of years. And like no one's popping sea urchin as a meal on the regular. So I felt that was a good comparison. He's highly specific in taste and feel. I mean, if you know Daniel Day Lewis, is a mood. You know, what I mean, it's intensity. It's kind of the the worst side of life. He's not, you know, he's not doing feel good rom-coms. He's doing these intense character dissections on what it means to be a human. And, you know, uni just tastes like, it tastes like the oceans in your mouth. Like you are just 20,000 leagues under the sea. You're playing double Dutch with that giant squid from that movie. I mean, there are piranhas around. There's the under the sea crab, you know, singing to you, like everything that's under the sea. That's what you're feeling in your mouth. You are getting, uh, you know, a watery, salty explosion. So, well, that's that'd be a good name for a band, Salty Explosion. I always, I try to think of like what a band would be like if we had to say, "Thank you, we are Salty Explosion." Yeah, that works. I would, eh, it's a little, little sexual actually. To think about it, so I don't know, maybe for like a punk band in like the early '90s or something. But uh, like people also have visceral passion or disdain for Daniel Day Lewis and also for Uni. I. I love seafood. I love seafood. Like absolutely love it. I love sea uh love sushi, but just not a fan of uni. So it's one of those take it or leave it, you know, high end specialty. And that just fits Daniel Day Lewis. So Daniel Day Lewis is a piece of uni. And then I went on to Dwayne The Rock Johnson. You know him from wrestling fame. He did like the Scorpion King, Hercules, these kind of Ridiculous action movies, Skyscraper, Action and Adventure, Jumanji, The Fast and Furious, Five Through Eight, Walking Tall, The Rundown, you know, just kind of your basic new generation of 80s action movies. He's kind of just taking it to the next level. He's basically Arnold for now, For now, I think. I want to think about that a little bit more. They're not exactly the same. I think Arnold's a little bit of a better actor and took more risks, but he's got the Arnold action vibe down. 
So he's never really acting. He's just kind of himself, just this big badass hero. He's smiling, you know, all the time. He's got that great 10,000 watt smile. And I was thinking, you know, what could he be compared to? And I think The Rock is definitely a hot pizza. It's not, if you think about it, it's not a high-end commodity. It's universally enjoyed and respected. Everyone loves pizza. It's hot. I mean, there's levels of good. I mean, I've heard the saying, it's like, sex and pizza there's no there's no such thing as bad there's just levels of good and i mean that 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 works for me i think that's that's the rock for you he's like it's never a life-altering meal you know one of your top five meals is never pizza it's easy to digest easy to consume and you forget about it no one like writes home about rock movies you know i'm not like oh i saw central intelligent and the chemistry between him and kevin hart was just you know magical although they do have a weirdly fun relationship which i respect but it's not like i mean it's not they're not for the ages. 200 years from now, we're not going to be talking about them. God, I mean, if society keeps going the way it does, if we're talking about them as like the greatest actors of our generation 200 years from now, we have failed our children, our children's children. So let's make sure that doesn't happen. And pizza works for everyone globally. Uh, no matter what role, he's the same hero, like I said. Similar, how, similar to how pizza kind of, no matter how it's made, you know, you got the coal-fired, you got the, uh, I'm trying to think, like the deep dish, and uh, the, like the New York classic thin style, it's still very similar in quality and taste wherever you venture. I mean, it's still cheese, sauce, bread, and, you know, some kind of variety on that. And it's served quickly and in mass quantity. You know, we sell a ton of pizza, you know, worldwide. And, you know, you order a slice, you get it right away pretty much. Unless they put it in the oven and heat it up for you. I like that. And uh, if you want to please like a large group of people, you're like, um, I, I need to, my, my eight-year-old, my 13-year-old, my wife, me, and my brother need to go see a movie where we're all entertained. You go see a rock movie. And also, I mean, you order pizza for everyone. It makes everyone happy. And like I said, the mass quantity of pizza, rock makes like three to five movies a year. So he's, he's Domino's. He's a chain. He's a brand. And I don't think there's anything more brand-like than pizza. So the rock is a pizza. Next, you know, we're going to go a little bit more old school. We're going to go Morgan Freeman. And, you know, he's an elder statesman of acting. Feels like he was born at age 53. You know what I mean? Like, I can't remember young Morgan Freeman. I can't imagine, you know, 17, 18-year-old Morgan Freeman. That sounds crazy. He was born at 53, and that's how he's been for the last 100 years. So, uh, I mean, the movies he's best in, Seven, Shawshank Redemption, you know, him and uh, Annie Dufresne as prisoners, that's probably his best role and probably his best narration. He's just a narrating god. You know, his voice is just silk. He plays a lot of presidents. He plays a president in Deep Impact, uh, Olympus Has Fallen. He plays like the tech guy in the Dark Knight trilogy, uh, retired uh, mercenary in Red. And I think he plays God too in uh, Bruce Almighty and uh, Evan Almighty. So a lot of God roles. So what fits Morgan Freeman on, you know, the taste profile? And I figured, I think a steakhouse, 28-day-aged porterhouse is the Morgan Freeman meal. Because it's refined, he gives textured performances. Also, I mean, the texture of marbling of the steak, it reminds me of his freckles. And also, he has that salt and pepper hair. And, you know, salt and pepper are key to the kind of uh, taste and mouthfeel on a, on a nice steak. And, like, if you had a last meal, uh, you'd definitely probably order a steak. And last words... I mean, you want Morgan Freeman talent? Like, if you want someone narrating the last moments of your life, you want Morgan Freeman's voice. So I thought that was a nice combination of things. And there's experience in its preparation or presentation, very key. Seems like he's always, you know, prepared to be in the roles. It's these intelligent, cerebral characters, a lot of expression in the face. 
And just, it seems like he's an expert actor. It seems like he's been around the block. He knows what he's doing. You feel confident when you watch a movie with Morgan Freeman. Like, he's not going to screw this up and do something strange. And, like, he's wise. He's got sage advice. And, you know, I mean, like a steak, if you listen to it, it'll tell, it'll tell you some good advice, too. That sizzling steak. You know what I mean? It tells you that someone's been trained to do this, and this is the way they've been cooking steaks for, like, 120 years. So you just feel, you feel like you're being taken care of uh, properly. And it's appreciated more by an older clientele. I think the older you get, the more you appreciate, you know, high quality meals and also Morgan Freeman's acting. And also it pairs well with other flavors. You know what I mean? Like you have a good pairing with a wine. Uh, Morgan Freeman pairs well. He rarely like leads a movie. He kind of is a combo on other people. You think about his relationship with Batman and Dark Knight Trilogy, him and Brad Pitt in Seven, him and uh, Gerard Butler in Olympus Has Fallen. And in red, he's with, you know, John Malkovich and Bruce Willis. He's, he's rarely the center of the show, but he just works well with a lot of people. So I think that's the same as, you know, when you have a steak, you got your wine, you got your sides, you usually get a seafood kind of appetizer kind of vibe, or maybe like a prosciutto uh, kind of charcuterie board, or, I mean, there's a lot of flavors going on and the steak doesn't overpower and it's not like it needs to be by itself. You know, you, it gets some love from other people. Next, I went a little bit more on the dessert trip. I went Meryl Streep. So Meryl, you know, has been nominated for 21 Oscars, I think, which is crazy. I mean, her body of work is just absurd. Most people know her from Devil's Wears, Devil Wears Prada, who, where she was that kind of hoity-toity, like Vanity Fair, uh, kind of monstrous woman that everyone somehow loved. Doubt she plays, uh, I think she plays a nun that's like in an intense situation, adaptation, Bridges of Madison County, and just everything she's in, she's fantastic. So what, what could I compare her to? And I said a wedding cake. Why a wedding cake? Because, I mean, there's something elegant about her and her. And there's clearly been an enormous amount of effort and time put into that craft and also into that cake. And also, if you think about it, no one remembers or appreciates the one bite or the slice of the wedding cake. It's seen as the wedding cake as a whole, the kind of the production, the fondant of the, you know, designer art of the outside, the amount of effort that it took to make this seven tiered monstrosity. And it's like the overall magnitude of joy you feel when you see her movies or you like hear about her and you just get to talk about her. It's kind of the, when the wedding cake comes out, it's how you feel, you know, that's how you feel about Meryl's career. That's how you feel about a wedding cake. So that's, that's how I feel. I mean, she was kind of hard actually. I thought hers was a little bit, hers was a little bit uh, more difficult because she's just so talented. I wasn't sure, but I mean, Think about it. People are paying $10,000, $20,000, $50,000 for a wedding cake. And, you know, I mean, like Meryl Streep's career is invaluable. So I think that I think it works. And she really plays a character that isn't charismatic. She always kind of leaves you with a sweet taste in your mouth. So wedding cake. Next, I went Robin Williams. And the first thing that came out to me was the versatility. You know, he's got the silly manic kind of Robin Williams. You know, the flub, flummox professor and uh, flubber cross-dressing and impersonating a old woman in Mrs. Doubtfire, the genie in Aladdin, you know, an alien in Mork and Mindy. So I was thinking, what can be in that silly, fun kids range, but also kind of take it up a level when need be? And I thought pasta, because it can be fun for kids. You got that craft neon orange mac, mac and cheese that you loved as a kid that comes with the powder. Don't tell me it's still not good. It's still fantastic. If you really... If you're hungover or if you've uh, 
I mean, even if you just have in the house and got nothing else, it, it is fantastic still. So even though it's childish, you still love it. And you can love it even though you know it's void of any real nutrition or meaning, kind of his movies. And also pasta can be pretty physically goofy and wavy. I mean, you get a nice handful of angel hair pasta and kind of swish it around. And it's just kind of funny to look at. So excellent for food fights. If you notice in most movies when there's a food fight, someone ends up with a kind of pasta on their ear or something like that. So just the silliness kind of reminded me of uh, Robin. But it can be surprisingly refined, too. Like you look at uh, Goodwill Hunting or Good Morning Vietnam or Bicentennial Man. He can get deep with it. So it's like I was trying to think in pasta terms, like a homemade rigatoni with like black truffles and lobster. Just mwah. Just he can really he can really hit it home. You can forget he's a classically trained Juilliard actor. Like he is no joke. He can turn on the series when he wants to. And you can even go into the dark serial killer weird uh, Robin Williams too, which is rarely visited by most people. Uh, Insomnia, the Christopher Walk, uh, Christopher Nolan movie, where he's a killer. Uh, Law and Order, he plays a serial killer. Death to Smoochie is really dark. So I was thinking pasta wise, that's like a squid ink linguini. So pasta's versatility and silliness, that's that's where Robin Williams' home is. And I think I think that's the one that worked the best for me, actually. This one's my favorite one, actually, though. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson. So Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, you know, kind of a criminal lowlife who's well-spoken but is kind of sleazy, unbreakable, superhero, Avengers against superhero, Kong Island, military leader who's kind of emphatic and crazy, Django. I mean, uh, the new Star Wars movies, uh, Time to Kill. So he's got he's got some versatility to him, but he kind of there's a wheelhouse to him, and it's usually gangster, nefarious characters, kind of well spoken, angry, and they have like a seventy five percent chance of dying. <laughs> he dies a lot in his movies. So I thought Buffalo Wings, because if you think about it, they're served everywhere. They're u- universally, you know what you're getting. And Samuel Jackson's been in 188 movies, so you know what you're getting when you get Samuel Jackson in your movie. He's loud, intense, he's screaming. I thought that was kind of the reaction to the spice. You know, if you get a really spicy, uh, like dim mock spiced uh, or a mango habanero from Buffalo Wild Wings, that kind of uh, your tongue's on fire kind of vibe, you scream the way Samuel would. And it's always dangerous gastronomically. You never know, you know, if your stomach's going to really deal with the chicken wings that well. So for his health, too, he dies all the time in his movies. You know, 75, 80% of the time, he's dead. And kind of in uh, epic ways, too. And he's got these messy roles where, you know, the guy, you're not sure if he's going to get out alive or who's going to double cross who. Or, you know, it's in these sticky situations. And I thought messy like the, the buffalo wing sauce, kind of glazing your fingers. And the Samuel Jackson's kind of vibe is rarely messed with. He's not playing the romantic lead. He's not, you know, doing serious Shakespeare, Shakespeare. So he sticks with the same vibe. And when you think about Buffalo Wings, I mean, really, no one tries to elevate them or make them ridiculously uh, different than what they are normally. So, I mean, no one's serving them at a Michelin star restaurant or anything like that. So you got to see what you get. Now I went Gary Ullman. And this one was actually pretty easy. I just said tofu because he takes on the flavor of the role he inhabits. You know, tofu, everyone's like, oh, it's flavorless. Well, dumbass, it's supposed to be flavorless. It kind of blends to whatever you uh, put it with. So it's a great supporting role and it's going to, it's going to, it's going to amplify your meal. It's going to take it to the next level. And that's what Gary Oldman does. And like, you think about the contrast of roles he does, like he did William, uh, he did William Churchill in uh, darkest hour and, you know, he 
was William Churchill. And then he's done Dracula, you know, like Bram Stoker's Dracula, the weird with the big buns of hair, all crazy and the white makeup. He's been, you know, the good guy, Chief Gordon in uh, the Dark Knight movies. And he's also been the crazy drug-fueled DE agent in Leon the Professional. True Romance, he was Drex, you know, a, uh, a Rastafarian white guy who wanted to be black. Or Serious Black, he was like just the nicest uncle, you know, cared about Harry. And, you know, he, he's got it all. He can do whatever. He just absorbs into a role. And he's going to make your movie better no matter what movies in or role he's in he amplifies it and so does tofu if you don't think so we can talk so now i got uh nicholas cage now nicholas cage this one was easy he's a hot dog because mostly it's 7-eleven you know spinning on that tray over and over again it's that churned out garbage for the masses it's cheap price it's quick like these movies that i mean i i've been over this before but i i'm a nicholas cage fan and 80 percent of his movies i don't know what they are like knowing joe Bangkok Express, Next, Wicker Man. I mean, what the heck? But uh, you know, I mean, you know what you're getting. You're getting a cheap meal that's gonna that's probably not great for you either. But once in a while, he elevates. He gets elevated in these movies, like The Rock, Con Air, Face Off, just fantastic. You know, high level action movies. Lord of War. He's a gun runner. That's really fun and smart. And these aren't like movies that are going to soothe your soul or make you feel good about humanity. These are garbage action movies. So it's like when you elevate a hot dog, you're still eating a hot dog. You're still eating like pig guts encased in intestine, stuff like that. You know what I mean? And on like a white bun. So, you know, nutritionally, it's not going to be the best for you, but it can be satisfying and fun once in a while. And also, I mean, both Nicolas Cage and hot dogs are weird and humorous in their shape and look. Maybe, I mean, Nick Cage is kind of starting to look like a hot dog. Look at him, like his forehead his hairline receding he's getting kind of smooth and he's getting kind of tight in the face kind of from, from some from some facelifts so i think i think he's the most hot dog looking of all the celebrities i haven't done a hot dog to celebrity analysis back to back but after this i'll you know i'll look at pictures and figure it out next let's go a little more high end let's go denzel washington and when you think of denzel it's the high end multi-talented kind of career he's had you know what i mean and he can be the star and he can elevate kind of lower level uh, action movies as well. He just got, he's got a lot of things going for him, but he can be, he's in a lot of different roles. So I was thinking of something that's versatile, but kind of universally loved. And what, did I, what could that be? And I was like, I was like, it's gotta be shrimp because it's seen as high end, but isn't, you know, unobtainable to the masses. Everyone gets excited when, you know, like the shrimp platters at a uh, holiday party or something like that. And it can be the star of a Michelin meal or it can elevate like simple street food, you know, like tacos. I mean, you get a shrimp taco, you're like, oh man, this is going to be good. And also you can pair it well with like an ensemble dish, like a nice, shrimp, a nice shrimp based pasta or fajitas. You know I mean? It's not going to overtake the uh, dish itself. It can work well with others. Denzel works well with others. So you got your high end Denzel, you got, you know, your Malcolm X where, you know, he should have won the Oscar and it's three hours. He's basically playing three different characters. And Training Day, you know, as the corrupt cop where he did win the Oscar. Fences, Antoine Fisher, he got game, Inside Man, Remember the Titans. There's a lot of high-end Denzel. And there's a lot of, you go to a nice restaurant, you know, American Contemporary or any real high-end restaurant, they generally have an entree and an appetizer dish that has a shrimp kind of quality to it. And it's something they're known for or something they have a pride in. So he's definitely shrimp. And then when I was saying uh, 
when he's elevating the material, like kind of a shrimp poor boy, you know, like a fried shrimp uh, hoagie or uh, shrimp tacos or shrimp quesadillas. That's like Denzel in the Equalizer movies, Two Guns, Virtuosity, which, but I mean, I will talk, we'll do a full podcast on Virtuosity at some point. It's one of my favorite sci-fi weird movies where Denzel goes toe-to-toe with Russell, Russell Crowe as a robotic personality who has 200 serial killer brains inside his one brain and Denzel's the cop who caught one of the serial killers so that personality comes oozing to the surface and they keep like playing back and forth like chess love it man on fire unstoppable like I said he can be refined elegant he can melt in your mouth or he can be fired up and spicy you know what I mean like shrimp can be brash shrimp can be in your face but it can also be you know with white wine a little garlic you know what I mean and this is the core of shrimp and Denzel. You're never mad when shrimp is in your order or Denzel is in your movie. It's just not going to happen. And then we got Gwyneth Paltrow. And I thought this was kind of an odd one. I wanted to think about her career because she has this amazing, elegant, short career at, at the top of like the A-list. She only really has five years where she's like just known. And she's playing, you know, the wife in seven, great expectations. She's the love interest, perfect murder. She's someone worth dying for talented Mr. Ripley. She's the concerned uh, girlfriend of kind of the dream guy, Royal Tenenbaum. She's the emotionalist uh, sister of the two brothers. I mean, I love the Royal Tenenbaums too. We'll do that one at some point too. So I was thinking there's something refined, elegant, a little douchey about it. It's kind of like she, she seems overly important and also a little bit fragile. So I thought avocado. So if you think about avocados, it's got a short shelf life. You know I mean? They can brown, one day they're looking good. They're, you know, I, you're feeling it out. And you're like, oh yeah, it'll be ready tomorrow. And the next day it's mush. And you're like, oh no, it's brown and gray and it's flavorless. Bummer. And it's seen as like bougie and self-righteous as many see Gwyneth Paltrow. Because uh, she has that bizarre Goop Studios where like they tell you to steam your vagina and stuff like that. And like take mushrooms and have a cathartic experience. And like all these weird revolutionary kind of... Uh, counterculture vibes and some of them might be right but some of them just seem like they're from mars and if you think about the clothes gwyneth paltrow wears in uh, those movies uh, like if you in great expectations her kind of signature look is this green silk kind of almost pajama looking thing she's wearing in central park and i just thought that was the bright and vibrant colors of a nice avocado kind of kind of lend themselves to her and like her wardrobe and also she has that insanely blonde hair you know i mean smooth tasting She's an elegant actor. They feel similar. And also, uh, she played characters who have like a whiff of instability. So there's always a squishiness of the avocado, of the avocado. And I thought that was a good relation. And so I think one of Paltrow's pretty good avocado. And some honorable mentions that I'll get to next time, maybe. I was thinking Christopher Walken would be jambalaya. Angelina Jolie would be oysters. Billy Bob Thornton would be fried chicken. Natalie Portman, a nice charcuterie board. Woody Harrelson ribs, Tom Cruise tacos, and John Krasinski a burger because you know he's all American. He's just you know universally loved by the masses. And I'll get more into those then the next time. This is really fun actually. I've, I've kind of enjoyed this, and now I'm really hungry. So I'm gonna go maybe make myself a Denzel taco. Delicious. All right, later. <laughs>